Viewpoints is VHB's thought leadership platform, where we share insights on critical issues and emerging technologies in the AEC industry. I'm Mike Carragher, President and CEO of VHB. I'm excited to introduce VHB's thought leaders and our client and partner podcast participants, all future-focused thinkers who want to reimagine the built environment. I hope you'll tune in often and leave inspired. This is Dave Mahon, VHP Chief Technology Officer, and today I'm joined by my VHP colleague and co-host Ryan Fetchko, a transportation technology engineer. Hey, Ryan, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Dave. We're also joined by Jennifer Foote, Senior Vice President of Business Development with Beep, a company that provides intelligence that enables safe, eco-friendly, driverless mobility via autonomous vehicles. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today on Viewpoints. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Beep and tell the audience maybe some of the history and the company overview. Yep, absolutely. So Beep was founded in 2018 um, as a uh, autonomous vehicle managed services company. And what that means is we take our uh, portfolio of services from planning to deployment to operations and wrap that around the delivery of autonomous vehicles from any number of suppliers around the states or the, uh, or the world as far as that goes. Um, Beep deployed our flagship deployment in Lake Nona, a suburb of Orlando back in September 2019. We started on a one-mile route um, with two shuttles, and since then we've deployed six routes, 10 shuttles. We've transported over 40,000 passengers on that route. We've also deployed in uh, states like Georgia, Arizona, Wyoming. We had a wildly successful um, trial in the summer at Yellowstone National Park where we transported 100,000 passengers. Well, that's that is exciting. So, how how did how did you get into this? How what actually attracted you to get into the autonomous vehicle world? Well, it's a, it's an interesting story. I, I guess interesting to me. So, I I um, started my career in technology. I was uh, a program manager um, managing global transformation programs using technology as a forcing function for transfer transformation. Um, in that uh, career, I worked for a group of technology entrepreneurs who uh, sold their company uh, and retired and started looking for a new venture. Um, in the course of that, they discovered autonomous vehicles and they realized that there was a huge gap in the autonomous vehicle industry. We have all of this great innovation, um, all of these great suppliers, the brilliant minds who are bringing the technology to bear, but nobody really knew how to consume it. And so they formed Beep um, to fill that gap, to really make it easy for cities, states, even federal agencies to consume those services. So when they formed the company, they pulled together a few key resources from their former venture. I happened to be one of them. And for me, the idea of bringing um, technology that can really change the world, uh, provide a greener transportation solution, as well as a safer mode of transportation was really uh, appealing to the humanitarian in me. Well, on, on behalf of VHB, we sincerely appreciate the partnership with you and, and the relationship. And I know you've had the opportunity to work with my co-host, and I'm going to turn to you a little bit now, Ryan. 
Uh, so maybe talk a little bit about what drove you to get into the technology space and, and really maybe some of the things that you're doing uh, with Beep as well, because uh, I know there's a strong relationship between VHB and Beep. Absolutely. So myself, I grew into the space out of just pure curiosity, understanding of how we can do things better. And I think that was the engineer in me asking me, you know, there's got to be a better solution. There's got to be something better than what we have now. And we started looking at the advancements that we're making with autonomy. And in 2014, we started to see the rollout of really the first conglomeration here in Florida with the Florida Automated Vehicle Conference kicking off. And from there, it's just been this whirlwind of efforts across the nation, uh, seeing this technology light up, being integrated into passenger vehicles, being integrated into transit vehicles, heavy, uh, heavy freight vehicles, uh, construction equipment even. And uh, it's endless what we can do with this technology, the possibilities, you know, the sky is the limit. Um, and along with that, we've developed a nice partnership with Beep where we're generally looking at how we can enable this technology to be on the ground sooner and easier for not only our municipal clients, but our private clients and looking at ways that we can start integrating the different aspects that interconnect with this technology. So that's, that's in a nutshell, kind of where I've been and, and what I'm doing and, and going forward into the future, starting to look at the different ways that this affects the other new concepts that are coming out inside of engineering. I was interested also in hearing a little bit more about the Yellowstone uh, project because that actually is a pretty uh, interesting project in itself with the uh, the implementation. Lake Nona, Jacksonville, um, Port St. Lucie, Arizona. I mean, there's a lot of areas that Beep is implementing the, uh, the autonomous shuttle. Which one was probably the most challenging of the implementations? And maybe, uh, maybe for the audience, why? You know, there's a curiosity in terms of the implementation challenges on this. Yeah, absolutely. So I will say that Yellowstone was the most challenging. Um, it, it's the first of its kind deployment in a remote um, location in a national park service. Um, one of the things that I think is important for folks to know about the technology is it's it's emerging, it's learning and getting smarter, um, and it connects via the cellular network. So the, the more remote you are, um, the, the more effort you have to put into place to ensure that you've got good connectivity to enable the vehicles. Um, so that was one of the challenges. Uh, the vehicles also react to, uh, they do what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to see obstacles quicker than humans could and react to those. And so um, there are bison and bears and all sorts of interesting obstacles um, that we had to anticipate and be prepared to deal with out in Yellowstone. Um, the, the, the deployment, the weather was another interesting challenge. Um, the vehicles, um, because of the t sensitivity of the technology, the sensors will detect very large snowflakes as, um, at as a potential obstacle. And so they'll slow down until they have time to process that it's not actually a threat. So we weren't able to run the shuttles in, in times when heavy snow was falling. But we were able to prove some interesting concepts. Um, so one of the things that we're doing at Beep is making sure that um, we're able to support AV in a fully autonomous function. A lot of people don't recognize right now that even though the vehicles are capable of full autonomy, 
we still have a safety attendant on board. Um, and there are a couple of reasons for that, but one of those is that the vehicles haven't yet learned to anticipate every single potential scenario they may come in, in contact with. So um, they may encounter a vehicle stopped in the middle of the road in front of, the, front of them broken down and the vehicle doesn't know how to navigate that just yet. And so a safety attendant is on board to navigate around an obstacle like that. Um, but we're laying the foundation such that we can take those safety attendants off the shuttle and have remote hands in our global command center. So we were able to prove that concept through the Yellowstone deployment, even as far away from Orlando as uh, Yellowstone National Park is. We had our uh, command center staff in Orlando providing remote support to those onboard safety attendants and recognizing that, that once we're able to get those attendants off board, the command center will be fully functional and ready to do that. That's absolutely fascinating to hear that you're able to take something that's so reliant on modern communications and put it in a place that is intrinsically designed to not have communications in place to preserve the wilderness of the area and have it operate fully functionally. Uh, as well as, you know, I, I wish I could have been out there to see it and made it out there. I do wish, you know, Yellowstone's on my bucket list. Um, but to see it in operations and ride it out there, I've written it in Lake Nona, and it's a fantastic operation. Um, I can only imagine how it blended in with the wilderness and being a fully electric vehicle. It, it absolutely points to a point of preservation that we need to have. We, and, you know, one of the things that we measure through all of our projects is the percent of autonomous operations. And we ran a, a very high percent of autonomy up in the 90 to 95 percent range. And typically, you know, that 5 to 10 percent would be those scenarios where we might be crossing an intersection um, and the attendant just has to allow the vehicle to stop and press go. Um, to, to allow the vehicle to continue its mission across the intersection when it's safe to do so. That's excellent. So it's, it's exciting, uh, like Ryan said, to see how the advancement of the learning part of the vehicle and the, and the next step and where the vehicles are going. So you reference weather and specifically snow. How long uh, do, do you think it's going to take before you're going to be fully prepared to address the, the inclement weathers uh, out there? And I say weathers because it's different ranges, whether it's rain, sleet, snow, uh, as part of the vehicles in terms of the reliable side of the service? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, weather is always something that our clients are asking about. And, and one of the things that we know as an industry we need to tackle, I think two things are going to have to happen to make that possible. One, um, we're going to have to have some higher fidelity LIDAR that are that is available at a reasonable price so that we're able to to continue to commercialize the solution um, a higher fidelity lidar will be able to more discreetly determine what it's viewing um, and then we're also going to have to have some more advanced machine learning um, so that the, the vehicle can recognize the difference between a snowflake and a leaf and a bison or a bear. Um, so, so having that ability to, to make distinctions and to determine real time or through some form of algorithm from a previous machine learning activity um, that it's not a real threat that it's observing. How does a vehicle stop when you're inside the vehicle? 
It depends, really. It depends on how, how far away the, the vehicle is when an object is perceived. Um, and so, you know, we, we want the vehicle to stop to avoid a collision. So let's say you have um, a vehicle that, cut, that, that um, is merging into a lane in front of the shuttle and it's 15 feet away. So it comes around in a lane and it wants to merge in in front of the shuttle um, so that it can take its next turn. Um, if it cuts in a little close, maybe 15 feet away, the, the shuttle will sense that and it may slow down for just a quick second to recognize, hey, there's something in front of me. Oh, it's a car, it's moving ahead. It's not really blocking my path. Um, if it recognizes and perceives that there is a, a, an obstacle, a stationary obstacle in front of it, it's going to stop quickly enough to avoid that collision and, and injury to a pedestrian in front of it. The thing that BEEP does a little bit differently, I think, than some of the other operators, when we started our operation, we looked at all of the vehicle solutions that were available to us, and we choose to engage only with suppliers who provide restraint systems for our passengers. So all of our passengers are, are seated and belted in, um, and we don't allow passengers to stand in the vehicles right now. Um, for that very reason, we want to make sure we're providing a safe and pleasant experience inside and outside the vehicle. Um, how many how many passengers are traditionally on the vehicle um, that that you're servicing, and how many vehicles how many vehicles did you have in that Yellowstone uh, rollout with a uh, hundred thousand? Because that's a lot of people. Ten thousand people. Ten thousand. Um, so we. Um, 10,000, yes. So we had two vehicles in Yellowstone. The capacity of each vehicle was eight passengers. And over the course of about 90 days, we transported 10,000 people. Um, so we had one shuttle running at any given point in time. They ran in shifts um, and they were packed to the brim um, for every trip. In Lake Nona, same, uh, we have a couple of different shuttles running in Lake Nona, and we have passenger capacity of eight to 10 passengers per vehicle. Is there any, is there any plans from BEEP or the manufacturers that y'all are working with to actually go with a larger vehicle to maybe supplement some of the BRT systems or, or traditional bus services? Yeah, actually, you know, we're talking to suppliers all over the world about what our customer feedback is. We want to have the voice of the customer ring through in every interaction that we have with our customers, and a lot of them are asking for a larger form factor. Um, we've, we've heard and believe that the sweet spot is probably somewhere between 16 and 20, but I do think it depends on the area that you're deploying to, right? So we want to right-size the deployment and the solution to fit what the demand is going to be. I, I want to nerd out for just a second here and talk about one of the vehicles you got, because to me, it's absolutely fascinating, the process and development of this vehicle. So the Ollie by Local Motors is a completely, the frame of the vehicle is completely 3D printed. Yes. And in fact, they have one of, I believe at the time it was developed, one of the largest 3D printing systems for vehicles in the world. Yes made in the USA. It's a fantastic vehicle. And if you ever have the chance to walk up on one, you can actually see that it's 3D printed. And I believe, to my knowledge, it's the only vehicle that they've actually run through crash testing at full speed um, and performed admirably for what it is, uh, protecting what it had to for the requirements, which 
to me was absolutely fascinating. But to see the vehicle being able to produce, I think what they can produce the vehicle uh, in a relatively short amount of time, I forgot the exact hours, but I thought it was less than a day they can print the entire vehicle, right? The production cycle for a vehicle, the entire production cycle is about a week. Um, and it's, it's really a fascinating process. I was able to go up to Knoxville where they manufacture those vehicles just a few, uh, few months ago. And, and I can stand up and have lots of room inside that 3D printer. It's an amazing, it's an amazing process. And so they, um, yeah, production cycle about a week. Um, and it, it is, it is quite fascinating the way they've been able to engineer that vehicle. And, and they even, you know, along the lines of sustainability, um, as well as they don't waste anything. So, the, you know, they're, they're able to recycle even the polymers. Um, that are left over from a printing cycle. They just recycle those and put it into the next vehicle that they produce. And so, again, one of the things I'm most passionate about is saving lives and saving our planet. And at every phase along the way, the technology that we're talking about plays a role in doing things like that. And I think it's also important to highlight that Beep, as an operator, is agnostic to the technology. Absolutely. Um, so you guys use several different platforms to operate. It's kind of like uh, you guys work to find what is the best shoe that fits the scenario to implement that scenario in place. Exactly. Exactly. The, you know, the, the technologies that are out in the market right now are, are, are very similar, but there are a few nuances um, that can make them more appropriate for one use case over another. And so we really are looking for the best of breed in terms of solutions out there so that we can fit what our customers are really looking to achieve. I think it's an excellent approach. It allows kind of the options to be more dynamic in terms of fitting the solution. Um, and it's something that I think is going to be relatively important going forward as we start looking at how this technology is going to be intertwining inside of our communities, whether they're already pre-built and we're retrofitting our streets and roadways in the future for autonomy or you know we're looking at new communities that are being constructed around the idea of autonomy. Thanks for coasting with me today, Ryan. Jennifer, I really appreciate you being here with us today so our listeners can learn more about BEEP and operating an autonomous vehicle in our communities. And thanks to you, the listeners, for tuning in today. Our conversation with Jennifer is not over. We will be digging into autonomous vehicle infrastructure and the operational design domain in a future episode with Beep. I hope you will join us for more from VHB Viewpoints podcast about technology and the data-informed ideas making our world more sustainable, equitable, and resilient.